American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. Today we have something new. We're sponsored by Beatrix Media. For all your digital marketing, website strategy and construction, SEO and marketing writing, and other marketing consultation needs, visit BeatrixMedia.com. If you like our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Before we get into today's topic, a quick note. We're available for speaking engagements at parishes, conferences, educational sessions, Theology on Tap, and other Catholic events. So if you're looking for a presentation on some aspect of American Catholic history and would like a specialized talk on a topic important to you, your parish, or your community, contact us through our website, AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Now on to today's topic, St. Anne. We're doing another multi-location episode like we did with St. Therese Shrines back in episode 66. But this time we're talking about shrines dedicated in honor of St. Anne, the mother of Mary and grandmother of Jesus. And the reason we're talking about St. Anne today is because this episode is being released on July 26th, which is the Feast of St. Anne, and it also happens to be my birthday. Yes, happy birthday! Thank you. I've always had a special love for St. Anne because of this happy circumstance of my birth. I was born five minutes after midnight, so almost St. James, but St. Anne. It's very special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about that a lot. I do, and I'll probably say it again. She's worth it. Totally. Anyhow, the first St. Anne we'll talk about is the Shrine of St. Anne in New York City, which is located inside the parish church of St. Jean-Baptiste on East 76th Street. The parish of St. Jean-Baptiste was established in 1882 as a spiritual home for the French Canadians who lived in New York at the time. Its first regular place for offering Mass was the upper level of a barn on East 76th. By 1884, they had a new parish church built. One thing the French Canadians had brought with them was their devotion to St. Anne, who is the patron saint of France. Yes, the French loved them their St. Anne. So in 1892, a big event occurred at St. Jean-Baptiste. A relic of St. Anne stopped by unexpectedly. That would have been unexpected? Well, of course it'd be unexpected. You just, you're going along your regular life and all of a sudden, boom, there's a, there's a relic of St. Anne. It just doesn't happen every day. No, that's true. They weren't expecting it. So, yeah, it was unexpected. Okay. The priest transporting the relic from Rome to the major shrine of St. Anne de Beaupre in Quebec was passing through New York on May 1st, 1892, and he needed a place to stay for the night. So suddenly, without expectation, there was a major relic of their favorite saint right there at the church. Now, this is a major first class relic, a part of the body of the mother of the Blessed Mother and grandmother of Jesus, the word incarnate. Yes, it was a four inch section of her four forearm. That means, in a way, it's the closest we can get to a relic of the Blessed Mother since Mary's body was assumed into heaven. But half of Mary's DNA came from St. Anne. And it was in St. Anne's womb that the Immaculate Conception took place. So yeah, this is pretty much as close to the physical remains of the Blessed Mother that we can get. So anyhow, this relic was supposed to just be there for an evening, and there was no planned veneration. 
But word got out, and a throng of devotees came that evening and prevailed upon the priest to allow veneration. Then the pastor of the parish convinced the priest to stay for a little while longer. Three weeks later, after thousands of devotees and even a few possible miraculous healings, the priest finally continued on his way to Canada. But he was very impressed by the devotion of the people. Upon arrival in Quebec, he told the bishop about the tender devotion to St. Anne that he found in New York. The bishop, in turn, sought and received permission to divide the four-inch relic and return to New York with half of it. This trip was planned for July of 1892 to coincide with the feast day of St. Anne. The bishop and the relic were received with much fanfare. Some sources say that the bishop left this portion of the relic at St. Jean-Baptiste. Others say he took it back to Quebec. But one thing is certain. After the bishop returned to Quebec, he secured another relic of St. Anne from France specifically for the parish of St. Jean-Baptiste. It took three years, but in 1895, another small section of an arm bone was brought over from France for permanent veneration at St. Jean-Baptiste. Now they had a major relic, and they needed a proper shrine. Mm -hmm. So in 1900, St. Jean-Baptiste was given to the care of the Congregation of the Blessed Sacrament. They were a French community founded in Paris in 1856, so they were well-suited to caring for the French-speaking Catholics. They fostered the devotion to St. Anne, and in the early 1900s, they erected a shrine in the lower level of the parish church. They commissioned a beautiful statue of St. Anne with a young Blessed Mother standing before her. It was carved out of Carrera marble in Italy and placed in the shrine. Along with it was a matching set of altar rails carved at the same time. When the new St. Jean Church was completed in 1911 the one that's standing today, the shrine was moved to the lower level. And then a number of years later, when the lower level was converted into a community gathering space, the shrine was moved to the main floor of the church. And that is where it and the relic of St. Anne remain for veneration and prayer. One final note on St. Jean-Baptiste Church, the present structure, the one built in 1911. It is an absolutely stunning church, one of the most beautiful in the Western Hemisphere, in my opinion. If you're ever in New York City, I highly recommend making time to stop in at St. Jean-Baptiste on East 76th Street. Our second St. Anne is not nearly as significant, but it is closely connected to the first one, so it deserves a mention. In 1931, the Congregation of the Blessed Sacrament was invited to establish a parish and seminary in the Diocese of Cleveland, and eventually they moved their provincial headquarters there. Then, around 1978, the year I was born, a portion of the relic in New York was brought to Cleveland and a shrine of St. Anne was established in the seminary. And the North American province of the congregation is actually named in her honor, the St. Anne province. Our third St. Anne is the National Shrine of St. Anne in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which was declared a basilica in 1997. This story begins with the arrival of the Passionist Fathers in the Scranton area of Northeast Pennsylvania around the turn of the 20th century. They initially came just to do some retreats, but they made such an impression that the faithful and the bishop invited them to establish a community. So with the help of the bishop, they secured a 10-acre plot on a plateau high above the city of Scranton, and there they built a monastery. Since the plot of land was chosen on September 8th, the Feast of the Nativity of Mary, they named the monastery in honor of Mary's mother. Beginning the following July and every July since then, they have prayed a solemn novena to St. Anne. By 1904, a monastery was built. 
But there was a major unforeseen problem. The area was a heavy coal mining region, and the plateau where the monastery was built had been severely undermined by digging for coal. In 1911, the earth on which the monastery stood shifted when an old mine collapsed, causing some damage to the monastery. But it wasn't too bad. Two years later, however, in 1913, a more significant land failure forced the monks to evacuate. Experts predicted an even greater land failure was imminent, and the monastery would be largely destroyed. So the monks went to St. Anne for help. They spent the night of July 28th in solemn prayer to St. Anne, asking for her intercession and assistance. At daybreak, a tremendous rumbling was felt from deep in the earth, and then, suddenly, silence. Nothing else happened. Upon careful inspection, it turned out that, rather than a land failure, what actually occurred was two gigantic boulders slid into place beneath the monastery, filling the gaps and making the ground on which the monastery stood more firm than ever. St. Anne was finally on firm ground. So I guess it's safe to say that the monks keep up that novena. Oh, yeah. And others in the area began to appreciate the power of St. Anne. In 1924, a group of young people began requesting that a weekly novena be prayed more publicly, so the monks arranged for a gathering at first in the parlor of the monastery. When the consistent group outgrew the parlor, the Scranton Fire Department loaned the monastery a large tent. Within a few months, a wooden pavilion was erected that could hold about 200 for the weekly prayers. That worked for a few years, but it was clearly not sufficient. So in 1927, they broke ground on a permanent church. Two years later, the construction was complete, and the doors opened on St. Anne Shrine Church in April 1929. Since that time, the weekly novena has been kept up, as well as the annual solemn novena leading up to the Feast of St. Anne. Many miracles have been attributed to the novena prayed there, including a number of St. Anne's babies, which are babies conceived by couples who entrusted their infertility and difficulty in becoming pregnant to St. Anne's care. At some point, the shrine was named a national shrine, and in 1997, it was declared a minor basilica by Pope St. John Paul II. Our fourth St. Anne is the Basilica of St. Anne de Detroit. This may be my favorite of the St. Anne's we are discussing because of its antiquity, how many times it burned down and came back, and the fact that it was part of the founding of one of our major cities. This parish was founded in 1701 in Detroit, and it is the second oldest continuously operating parish in the United States. Yes, the only parish that's older is St. Augustine in St. Augustine, Florida, which was established in 1565. So while St. Anne is 320 years old, it is still 136 years younger than St. Augustine. Wow. We're not used to talking about things being 300 or 500 years old in this country. No, you have to go back to these first settlements to get those kinds of ages, and in both of these cases, these parishes do that. St. Augustine was founded when that city was established, and St. Anne was the first structure erected when the founders of Detroit came ashore. Yes, this was Antoine de la Mothe Cadillac and his group of about 100 settlers, including artisans, soldiers, and two priests. They landed on the northwest bank of the Detroit River on July 24, 1701, to establish Fort Pontchartrain de Detroit, or Detroit, as they would have said, probably. <laughs> Their fascinating mission was to establish a new and pure French society on the frontier. And we may do an entire episode just on them and their project at some point. 
But for this episode, we're only noting their arrival and the growth of St. Anne. Yeah, one story at a time. After they spent two days roughing out where the fort would be, the first log structure they built was a small church. And since it was begun on July 26th, they were pleased to name it after their French patroness, St. Anne. But that first log structure didn't last long. In 1703, local natives who weren't pleased with the French settlement set fire to the fort near the church, destroying part of the fort, the church, the rectory, and all of the church's baptismal and other records. But the settlers kept at it, and a new church was built in 1704. The earliest records at St. Anne date back to the second parish church, with the first baptism belonging to a child born to Antoine Cadillac. The next setback for St. Anne was shortly thereafter when the pastor, the Franciscan father Nicholas Constantine del Hal, was killed by Indians. Some accounts say he was kidnapped and released, only to be shot while walking back to the fort. But a more extensive history that I found says he was caught in the crossfire between two warring tribes while he was tending his own garden. He was buried under the altar of the church, and he would be moved multiple times over the next 150 years as new churches were built. The next church was built in 1708 in response to the growing population of the city developing around the fort. This church was built outside the Fort Palisade, which of course made it more vulnerable. And sure enough, six years later in 1714, the settlers themselves set fire to this church during an attack of the Fox Indians, lest the church be used by the Fox as a stronghold. It took a while to rebuild, with the fourth church being built in 1723, then the fifth in 1755. A sixth church was built at some point, though the date isn't available to me, and this was the St. Anne Church in place when the most famous of St. Anne's pastors arrived in town. Yes, this was the great Father Gabriel Richard. We told his story in episode 64. He was a French immigrant who took over as pastor of St. Anne in 1800. When he was pastor, he established a school system and built great charitable institutions. But the biggest challenge he had to face was the Great Detroit Fire of 1805. Detroit was the largest city west of the Appalachians at this point, and most of it burned down in just a couple of days. This included St. Anne. The seventh St. Anne wasn't built until 1818, and this new church was the first built of stone rather than wood. This edifice, known as the Old Stone Church, stood for about 60 years. Father Richard was interred here upon his death during a cholera epidemic in 1832. Before we move on, we should note that while pastor at St. Anne, Father Richard was responsible for writing the motto of the city of Detroit, We hope for better things, it shall rise from the ashes, in the wake of the 1805 fire. Then, during the War of 1812, when Detroit was occupied by the British, he was kept a prisoner for a time until the British Indian allies threatened to leave the alliance if he were kept imprisoned. Later, he represented the Michigan Territory in Congress, and toward the end of his life, he founded what is now the University of Michigan. So, seriously, go listen to episode 64 about his remarkable life. In the decades that followed the death of Father Richard, the city of Detroit experienced remarkable growth. By the 1860s, it was clear that a much larger church was needed, but it took 20 more years for it to happen. In 1886, a far larger, far more grand church was built about two miles downriver of the site of the seven earlier churches. This church, which is still standing 135 years later, includes some elements from the stone church, including the cornerstone, the wooden hand-carved high altar and communion rail, the gray clerestory windows, 
some of the bells, and of course the remains of Father Gabriel Richard. But the Gothic arches, massive scale flying buttresses, and large stained glass windows make it stand out from all previous St. Anne churches. And while it is two miles from the site of the original Fort Pontchartrain and the original St. Anne churches, it still sits in a fairly prominent place in Detroit. Just to the southwest of St. Anne, the Ambassador Bridge soars over the river, connecting Detroit, Michigan with Windsor, Ontario, Canada. The Ambassador is a massive suspension bridge, and it is the busiest road crossing between the U.S. and Canada. Since St. Anne is so close to the Detroit-bound side of the bridge, Thousands of people who are entering the U.S. every day see her majestic twin spires reaching to the heavens. During the late 19th and early 20th century, the demographics of the area around St. Anne's changed. The entirely French-Canadian population was eventually mixed with a heavy Irish population. And then through the 1930s, Mexicans and Puerto Ricans moved into the area, supplanting both the French and the Irish. In 1940, the first Spanish-language sermon was given— and then two years later, in 1942, the final sermon was given in French. As the city of Detroit declined in the latter half of the 20th century, the neighborhood around St. Anne suffered greatly, and in the 1960s, the glorious church was threatened with demolition. It was spared, thank God, and in 2020, it was named a minor basilica. St. Anne de Detroit remains an active and vibrant parish and a pilgrimage and tourist destination, welcoming hundreds of visitors every month. There are at least two other shrines to St. Anne that we found. One is on Ile-Lamotte, Vermont. Ile-Lamotte is an island in Lake Champlain, up by the Canadian border. This one is not an active parish, but is a well-maintained lakeside pilgrimage and retreat location. Its roots also go back to a French establishment dating all the way back to 1666, when the French established a fort on the island to protect the southern approaches to Montreal. The fort, of course, had a chapel, and it was dedicated in honor of St. Anne. And our final St. Anne shrine is the massive shrine church of St. Anne in Fall River, Massachusetts. This one was built at the turn of the 20th century, with dedication taking place in 1906. The parish of St. Anne in Fall River goes back to the influx of French Canadians into the area as Fall River became a major industrial hub after the Civil War. The parish of St. Anne in Fall River was established for the French Canadians, and eventually French Dominicans came to minister at St. Anne. At the end of the 19th century, the French Canadians in Fall River decided they wanted a shrine to rival the major pilgrimage shrine of St. Anne de Beaupre in Quebec. And they certainly built something impressive. It is massive and gorgeous. There probably are other shrines to St. Anne in the United States, and if you're ever near one that we highlighted or one that we didn't, do yourself a favor and stop by sometime. Offer a prayer to the Grandmother of Jesus, the Mother of Mary, for the causes most important to you. You've been listening to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. Also, check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, for all of your digital marketing, website strategy and construction, SEO and marketing writing, and other marketing consultation needs. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Also, please support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about Shrines of St. Anne, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org.
We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Ruel Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest.